I want to preach a message I've entitled, Your Help Comes from the Lord. Father, in Jesus' name, anoint again this word. Speak to our hearts. Lord, I've already prayed about this message and about this service, but Lord, confirm your word. I pray in Jesus' name. Amen. No doubt some of you have watched, as I have, uh, such television shows as uh, the world's wildest police videos. Well, I've taken the liberty to draw some lines from some of those shows, some lines actually used, these are not made up, actual lines used by police officers as they've pulled people over. Let me share with you a few. I'm glad to hear that the chief of police is a good personal friend of yours. At least now you'll know someone who can do your bail. So you don't know how fast you were going, correct? I guess that means I can write anything I want on this ticket, huh? Yes, sir. You can talk to the shift supervisor, but I don't think it will help. Oh, did I tell you I'm the shift supervisor? Warning, you want a warning? Okay. I'm warning you not to do that again or you'll get another ticket. Two more. Yeah, we have a quota. Two more tickets and my wife gets a toaster oven. <laughs> and finally, you didn't think we give pretty women tickets? You're right, we don't. Please sign here. <laughs> Have you ever had to turn to the police for help? Many years ago, the writer of the Psalms found himself in a situation, a rather precarious situation, and a cop could not be found anywhere. Psalm 121 captures his story. Psalm 121 verse one says, I will lift my eyes to the hills. From where does my help come from or come? The 121st Psalm is known as the Traveler's Psalm. The Psalm is a part of a block of Psalms, 120 through 134, that are known as the Psalms of Ascent or a Pilgrim's Psalm. In biblical time, every male, every male Jew had to make three pilgrimages a year up to the city of Jerusalem. It is believed that the People, as they made their way up to Jerusalem would sing these various psalms one after another. Again, 121 being one of them. Let me just show you real quickly how, it, how they would do it. It's called antitonial, and it's a word that doesn't mean anything to you, but it actually would be carried out like this. Uh, there would be a, a, a leader of the choir or a leader of the group, and he would say, I will lift up my eyes to the hills. And then everyone else would say, where does my help come from? So I'm going to do it again. And then I want you to say back to me that second line, where does my help come from? I will lift up my eyes to the hills. Where does my help come from? And so that is how they did it. Uh, one after another, after another, after another. One chapter, or excuse me, one psalm after another, after another. Again, the passage begins with the words, I will lift up my eyes, or I lift my eyes to the hills. One could not go to Jerusalem without looking up to the hills, the city surrounded by hills. 
The hills were particularly intimidating back 3,000 years ago. Remember, this was back before modern means of travel. The roads were rough, the roads were steep, the roads were difficult, and at times very narrow. Accidents were a, a real possibility. The hills, quite frankly, were dangerous. Come to think about it, there are parts of the world today where the roads are still rough, the roads are still narrow, and the roads are still steep. I have some pictures here on the screen of a tunnel road in China. I can't pronounce the name of the tunnel. 13 men from a nearby village decided on their own to build this road back in 1972. Selling their animals and other necessities for supplies, the builders, none of whom were engineers, bought some explosives, they bought some hammers, some chisels, and some iron bars, and they proceeded to build, to hammer out of that mountain, the road that you see there on the screen. The most, at the most difficult stage, the under, the undertaking progressed at a, a rate of one meter every three days. As you might imagine, a number of people were killed in the process of building the road. The project was completed in less than six years. Since the road's completion, it has gained the nickname, the road that does not tolerate any mistakes. No doubt, the 13 men that started the project of building this road looked at that mountain and as they looked at it, they were somewhat apprehensive. They, they had questions in their mind. What happens here? What happens there? I mean, the shifts, I mean, the, the cliffs are sheer hundreds and maybe a couple of thousand feet down. In the same way, David and his men looked at the hills surrounding Jerusalem 3,000 years ago and they were intimidated. Part of the road going up to Jerusalem was desert. There was very little clean and fresh water. Nights were dark and cool while the days were long and hot. Then there was the possibility of robbers that could jump up out of nowhere. Remember the story of the Good Samaritan? Probably that story took place along this particular stretch of road. As if these issues were not enough, the psalmist was also concerned about wild animals that roamed in that particular part of the world. As these various threats troubled his mind, the writer asked, what if something were to go wrong? Where would I go for help? We're talking about, again, a long, long time ago. There was no, there were no cell phones back then. I mean, the guy couldn't pick up the phone and dial 911 and expect a cop or an emergency vehicle to be there in a matter of minutes. Why, they didn't even have the benefit of conveniently located convenience stores or uh, the closeness of an urgent care or emergency room. I want to reread verse 1. This time I'm going to take it from the old King James Version. I will lift up mine eyes into the hills from whence cometh my help. Many folks have read that and they have concluded that the psalmist was looking to the hills for help, that somehow or not the, his help would come from the hills. However, that is certainly not what the writer was wanting to communicate. The Bible is full of types and symbols. Mountains and hills are mentioned better than 500 times in the Bible. And one of the things that the Bible emphasizes when it talks about mountains and hills are problems and troubles. Mountains and hills were difficulties. They spoke of the problems of life. Perhaps you found yourself at one time or another 
looking up at a mountain. I have. Do any of these mounts sound familiar? Mount St. Peter? Or how about mountain, the, the Mount of Depression? Or Mount Finance? Mount Rejection? Mount Divorce? Mount Counselor? Mount Death? Don't make the mistake of thinking that verse 1 teaches that our help comes from the hills. Not so. The hills are against you. No, the hills are the problem. Given that the New Living Translation says, I look up to the mountains, does my help come from there? Or the Voice Translation, I look up to the vast sides of the mountains, from where will my help come in times of trouble? Wycliffe's Translation, I raised up my eyes to the hills or the mountains, oh, where shall I find help? From where shall my help come to me? The writer of the psalm then goes on in verse 2, to answer his own question. My help comes from the Lord who made heaven and earth. The message translation, no, my strength comes from God who made heaven and earth and the mountains. I love this answer for it shifts the focus from the hills to the one who made the hills, from the problem to the solution. My help, your help, our help comes from the Lord. Jeremiah 2 or 3 verse 23, Truly in vain is salvation hoped for from the hills or from the, or from, and from the multitude of mountains. Truly in the Lord our God is the salvation of Israel. Again, he's turned the focus from the mountains as being our solution to the Lord being our answer. Micah 7, 7, therefore I will look unto the Lord. I will wait for the God of my salvation. My God will hear me. As with David, sometimes our mountains, like the mountains surrounding Jerusalem, can become all consuming. Where do you, I mean you now, I'm talking to you folks, where do you go for help when you are facing some intimidating mountain, some perplexing problem, from some situation for which there are no easy answers? Do you go to the Lord as did the psalmist, or do you rely on your own strength and abilities? Maybe you go and you rely on your power or your career or your education, your peers, or how about drugs or alcohol? Have you ever turned to drugs and alcohol for help? The story is told of a national magazine that assigned a photographer to take pictures of a forest fire. They told him that a small plane would be waiting for him at the airport to take him to the necessary location. The photographer arrived at the airstrip just an hour before sundown, and sure enough, there was a Cessna, a small Cessna sitting there idling. He jumped in beside the pilot, loaded his equipment, and shouted, let's go! The pilot, a tense-looking young man, turned the plane into the wind, and soon they were off into the air, admittedly flying rather erratically. Fly over the north side of the fire, shouted the photographer, and make several low-level passes there, please. Why? asked the pilot. Why? Because I'm here to take pictures, yelled the photographer. I'm a photographer, and photographers take pictures. The pilot replied, you mean to tell me you're not the flight instructor? <laughs> Sometimes we are like 
the pilot and put our confidence in the wrong people or maybe the wrong things. If I've made any progress in my walk with Jesus Christ through these many years, it is this. I've, not, I've learned to not wait so long to call upon the Lord for help. I need to call upon him. I need to call upon him sooner. I need to call upon him for sure. Verse 2 continues, my help comes from the Lord who made the heavens and earth. Why did the Lord, why didn't the, the writer just simply say, my help comes from the Lord? Or maybe my help comes from God, the sovereign one. Why did he have to add who made heaven and earth? Well, because he wanted to add who made heaven and earth. I mean, he's the writer. There was more to it than that. Do you realize that the Bible declares better than 100 times that God is the creator of the heaven and the earth? 100 times, I repeat. One day, some scientists approached God and said, God, we don't need you anymore. Science has figured out a way to create something out of nothing. Uh, something akin to what you did at the very beginning. Oh. Is that so, replied the Lord. Yes, said the scientist. And in fact, we can take dirt and now form it into a human likeness as did you and breathe life into it. Thus, we can create man. I'm impressed, said God. Would you please show me? So the scientist reached down, grabbed a handful of dirt and started to mold the dirt into the shape of a man to which God replied, no, no. Get your own dirt. <laughs> to me, the fact that God created the heavens and the earth raises the bar so high that literally every other miracle, every other need, every other problem falls somewhere underneath it. Need to be healed? The God who made the heavens and the earth can do that. Need a better job? The God who made the heavens and the earth, he can do that as well. Do you need to have a prodigal son, a prodigal daughter come home? No problem with our God. Need lost love restored? God is love. But Pastor Mike, I feel like I've lost everything. I'm down to zero, not a goose eggs. I hear you. But remember this. God can begin with nothing. He can begin with zilch and produce. Man can invent. But the God who created the heavens and the earth he creates. Creation shows us that God is the God who makes the impossible possible. Believe it. Before I move to verses 3 and 4, I want to add, God can't die. He won't fail. And regardless of the circumstances, he refuses to be defeated. I bears repeating, my help, your help, our help comes from the Lord who made heaven and earth. Verses 3 and 4. He will not let your foot be moved. He who keeps you will not slumber. Behold, he who keeps Israel neither slumber nor sleeps. The word keeps is key to this passage. It is repeated six times in the last five verses of this short psalm. In fact, one of the Lord's names, the keeper of Israel, rises up out of this particular psalm. As used here, the word keeps speaks of protection. It means to exercise great power over, to watch over, to guard, to keep. Notice this verse, Deuteronomy 32, verse 10. He, speaking of God, found him, speaking of Israel, in a desert land and in a wasteland, a howling wilderness. 
He encircled him. He instructed him. He kept him as the apple of his eye. Here we find that word keep again, kept, as the apple of his eye. Like the psalmist, here the writer of Deuteronomy finds himself in a hostile, intimidating environment. And again, we find the promise that the Lord will watch over or keep those who belong to him. But here, the Lord adds a powerful word picture that begs explaining. He says he will keep his people as the apple of his eye. Do you realize that the term apple of the eye is a, a, a cliche that dates back 3,000 years? It's a cliche that finds its origin in scripture. So what does the phrase mean? Originally, the term spoke of the pupil of the eye because the pupil of the eye looked so much like the shape of an apple. However, over time, the apple of the eye came to be used as a metaphor for that thing, that one eye on that Thing, I repeat, that is most precious. Just the sight is the most precious of the five senses. So it is the apple of one's eye is understood to stand for that which is most precious or most cherished by an individual, that which is regarded to be especially dear and near to him or her. I can safely say that my wife who is sitting over to my left my wife is the apple of my eye. In that same vein, when the Lord tells us that he keeps us as the apple of his eye, he's declaring his love for us as his children. He is saying that we are most precious to him, that we are so close to him as to be the apple of his eye, that he's ever watchful, that he ever keeps us. Not only does the Lord keep us, the writer of the psalm goes on to say that he keeps us 24-7, 365. He who keeps Israel neither will neither slumber nor sleep. The story goes of a guy named Bishop Quayle. He was an early leader in the Methodist church. He was working hard into the early morning hours one day when his eyes fell upon the 121st psalm, the psalm that I'm talking to you about this morning. As he was looking at that psalm, his eyes grew very, very heavy. It was then that he heard the voice of the Lord say, Quail, there's no need for both of us to stay up all night. I'm going to stay up anyway. You go to bed and get a good night's sleep. Notice how the Lord keeps. He neither slumbers nor sleeps. His keeping is watchful. The Lord will keep you as you are going out and as you are coming in. His keeping is universal. He will keep you from this time forth and forevermore. His keeping is perpetual. He will keep you during the day as well as during the night. His keeping is constant. He will keep you. His keeping is personal. Marilyn and I enjoy counting Jim and Eileen Lundquist as friends. We've eaten at their table they have been in our home. I was their pastor for a number of years. A number of years ago, Jim and Eileen bought a new house in Wilmer, Minnesota, where we were pastoring, living. It was a beautiful home. It was in the fall of the year. As you know, it could be rather cool in the fall in that particular climate. Shortly after they moved in, they were awakened about 3 in the morning by the sounds of voices coming from their basement. The sound obviously frightened them. They couldn't help but wonder 
who would be in their basement? And who would be in their basement at that particular hour of the day? Three o'clock in the morning, I repeat, cautiously, they made their way to the basement, not knowing what they would find. But as they made their way down the stairs, they were able to recognize the voice as the voice coming through their television, an old television that they rarely have ever used. But it had come on and it was blaring very loudly at three o'clock in the morning. Then it is apparent that there was no one else down there other than Jim and Eileen. Suddenly, Eileen detected something. She asked Jim to go and check the new furnace. She said that she could smell gas fumes in the room. As Jim checked, he discovered that the exhaust pipe had somehow become disconnected. Instead of the deadly fumes being funneled outside of the house, they were instead filling the house. Jim turned the furnace off, quickly opened the doors and the windows. The two of them made it through the night okay. The repairman came the next morning and fixed the problem. Jim and Eileen, I talked to him recently as I prepared this sermon to refresh my memory as to the details of this story. Jim and Eileen are convinced to this very day, years later, that an unused television in their unfinished basement coming on at full volume on its own at three in the morning saved their lives. How do you explain such things? Coincidence? Uh, perhaps luck? Or God? I choose the third answer. Jim told me that he and Eileen felt that Psalm 91, 1 and 2 really applied to their situation. The psalmist wrote, He who dwells in the shelter of the Most High will abide in the shadow of the Almighty. I will say to the Lord, My refuge, my fortress, my God in whom I trust. Psalm Four, verse 8 adds, I will lie down and sleep peacefully for you, Lord. Make me safe and secure. I personally believe that God is far more involved in the affairs of our lives, in caring for us and keeping us than we can ever imagine. He is always on task, even at three o'clock in the morning. Indeed, only heaven and earth, only in heaven will we fully understand the impact of the Lord's watchfulness, his keeping us of our being the apple of his eye. Verses five and six, the Lord is your keeper, the Lord is your shade on your right hand, the sun will not strike you by day, nor the moon by night. Today we give little thought to sunstroke and even less thought to the idea of being stricken by the moon. However, 3,000 years ago, both of those concerns were very, very real. In fact, people protected their children from the moon just like we would protect maybe a child from a, a, an overhop sun on a very blazingly warm day, and we would protect him or her with some sunscreen. So they would do with moon, with the moon. They, they were very afraid of the moon. Are you afraid? See, there's more to this passage than just the sun and the moon. Really what the psalmist is addressing here is fear. He's declaring we do not have to be afraid of that which might happen during the day 
or what might take place during the night, for God has both the day and the night covered. A young man, a young, wo a young woman was standing at a bus stop in a crime-ridden part of the city when a rookie policeman approached her and said, do you want me to wait here with you? She's standing at a bus stop, I repeat. That's not necessary, she said. I'm not afraid. To which the cop replied, well, I am. Would you mind standing here with me? I recently preached a funeral in the message I dealt with the fear of death, the fear of dying. I want to share with you an illustration that I clipped from that funeral message. Are you aware of the fact that as you get older, you're 14% more likely to die on your birthday than any other day of the year? It's true. It goes to prove that birthdays are a killer. <laughs> Gotta quit having them. I once heard of a fellow who was so old that his birthday cake was literally weighted down with candles. In fact, he, as he inhaled to blow out the candles, he fell over dead from smoke inhalation. And I meant that as a joke. I told it to my wife. She took it serious. She said, that's awful. I said, Marilyn, it's a joke. But it is true, you're 14% more likely to die on your birthday. Along that line, 13% more likely to die after getting paid. Don't ask me why, I don't know. The survey didn't give an explanation. Finally, according to a new study published in the Annals of Neurology, you're more likely to die in the late morning, around 11 o'clock, than at any other time of the day. Well, it's now past 11. I doubt that it's your birthday. More than likely, you weren't paid on Saturday. So chances are you're per pretty good that you're going to live to face another day. Feel better now? Joel Osteen, in his book entitled Blessed in the Darkness, shares, It's no coincidence that David said in Psalm 23, The Lord is my shepherd. I shall not want. He makes me lie down in green pastures. He leads me beside still waters. And though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil. He was saying, in effect, the same God who leads me to the green pastures, the same God who leads me to still waters, is the same God who leads me through the valley of the shadow of death. Amen. We do not have to be afraid, even of death. Death, though, isn't the only thing that produces fear. According to the National Institute of Mental Health, over 20 million Americans suffer from some sort of phobia. The truth is, we fear what we don't know, we fear what we do know, we fear things that might happen, things that have happened, that, that are happening, uh, that might not happen, that never will happen. I mean, we're fearful people. So what do we do when we're face to face with some gut-wrenching fear? Again, the question, where does my help come from? In the book, The Fear of Man Versus the Fear of God, the author, Philip Del Rey, says that the command, fear not, is given over 300 times in Scripture. You need, you can read it all the way through Old and New Testaments. Let me give you some examples. God is our refuge and strength, always ready to help in time of trouble. So we will not fear, even though earthquakes come and mountains crumble into the sea. When you lie down, you will not be afraid. When you lie down, your sleep will be sweet. 
Have no fear of sudden disaster or the ruin that overtakes the wicked, for the Lord will be your confidence and will keep your foot from being snared. Now you don't need to be afraid of the dark anymore, nor fear the dangers of the day. So we say with confidence, the Lord is my helper. I will not be afraid. You do not have to be afraid as you make your way through the mountains of life. You don't have to be afraid during the day or during the night. The Lord, he doesn't slumber, nor does he sleep. He has your back. If the Lord doesn't keep you from the situation, then... He will go through whatever the situation is with you. I have a song entitled, Don't You Fear? I want you to listen to it. The point of the song is this. And one of the lines that recurs throughout the song is, He is here. He is there. Do not fear. Finally, Psalm, in Psalm 121, verses 7 and 8, says, The Lord will keep you from all evil. He will keep your life. He will keep your going out, your coming in, from this time forth, even forevermore. Lawyers, when they draw up important documents, they generally finish off the paper with a general statement which includes everything expressed or not expressed so as to take in all unforeseen contingencies that might pop up. That's what's happening here in the psalm. The psalmist notes that a person's foot could slip as they're going about their journey through the mountains. The Lord covers that. The person could become overheated due to the sun on their way. The Lord covers that as well. They could fall under the influence of the moon, the Rosamas wrote, but that contingency is covered too. The person could be tempted with evil. You can check that off as well. But there are other dangers that are out there that might not be covered in this psalm. So what does the Lord do? He simply adds this concluding clause that covers everything else, no matter the nature or the size of the issue. No matter where the problem comes from, no matter when the difficulty might arise, day or night, no matter how long the situation might run, they're all covered. Again, the Lord will keep you from all evil. He will keep your life. The Lord will keep your going out and your coming in from this time forth, even forevermore. You see, regardless of the size or the scope of the mountain, Regardless of the size or the nature of your need, daytime or night, you can know this. Your help, my help, our help comes, comes from the Lord. Father, thank you. We commit this word to you. May it encourage those who have heard. May those who are fearful, may those who are struggling, may those who are walking through one of life's mountains today, Find their strength and encouragement in you today. In Jesus' name.